0: Okay, we're back. We're talking about Mr. Sam not still being restless. He has a—he's not happy, and I gotta say, Ava Gardner once said that fame gives you everything you never wanted. Oh, it's a good
1: one. Not like I would know, but
0: <laughs> you may—you Who knows? You may have fabulous. Not- this is coming along. Um. And I think that in Sam's case, you know, he, he you know, he made great business decisions and gosh in his personal life the you know, the accidents mm-hmm. and the and the you know, his ex wife dying the way yeah, she he did. Had a lot
1: of tragedy.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was sad and but he thought that RCA was shortchanging him, you know. And he wanted off the road, you know. That's what was making him kind of unhappy. The constant touring was like a real grind, mm-hmm. you know, and he was married. He was having kids. He had had, a, uh, you know, a son, and he had had another daughter by Barbara. So they had three, three, three kids. And he just wanted more financial security so that he wouldn't have to tour so much because, as you know, touring is where you make your money. Um, and so Alan Klein's role at first was to kind of go through the, his books, and kind of audit his books for free and Alan's deal with him is if if I find something you know I'll come back and tell you and you know you can make me your manager and it was um he did it for free and they made a handshake deal and he came back and said RCA owes you money like you have over a hundred thousand dollars in back royalties and he became Sam's manager at that point he was Alan Klein was an accounting guy Wow, okay,
1: so
0: for fun. Yeah. And so they, of course RCA was probably like, no we don't, we don't owe you nothing. But, you know, it it became a part of, I think they re-signed a deal. They they re-upped his deal and said, okay, we need to do a new contract with you, Sam. And so they signed a new RCA deal in which he would receive a four-year advance of like almost half a million dollars.
1: Okay, so $150,000, yeah. which it's still a good chunk of change mm-hmm. now if someone wasn't, <laughs> that is worth $1.3 million. Well, $1.312. Awesome.
0: Well, they re-upped his deal and gave him $450,000. So, I mean, he, you know. As he should have been
1: getting. Yeah, you
0: know, he should have deserved that. That was a four-year advance. I don't know if that comes out of the back end some way. I wonder. Um, Oh,
1: advances always do. They do. Yeah, it's just basically a loan from... A label is just a bank. It's like... Interesting. Well, because every time you're getting anything fancy, if you're like, oh, yeah, with my, you know, tour buses and all that, Mm -hmm. nothing comes for free. Right. that's That's why there's also... You hear stories, like we were talking about earlier, there's some really big bands that you're like, how is it possible that they don't have money now? And you think it might be all... A big part, like, bad deals and a lot of frivolous, or thinking stuff for free, like, thinking, you know, having five tour Videos. Buses. videos. Yeah. Like, I mean, videos don't cost what they used to, but people used, even, like, 15 years ago, people would spend a million bucks on a video. Oh,
0: totally. Yeah. It's they like, didn't even have big-time directors doing mm-hmm. music I mean, David Fincher did Madonna's. Some of her early, you became a big-time director, but, you know, a lot of guys, you know, these directors, you know, they put a lot of money. You're right about that because even TLC talks about it.
1: Yeah, well, TLC is actually one of the bands I was thinking about. Though. Yeah. It's just because there's all sorts of, like, none of that stuff comes for free. Mm-hmm. Everything, everything is coming out of the back end
0: somewhere. So you mean nothing in life is free?
1: No. Well, cat kisses. Yeah. you have to buy true. them
0: food. <laughs> See? <laughs> Not for free. Right. Not according to Scott.
1: Scott, well, Scott just uh. <laughs>
0: You know, and damn cute, so. he is cute, <laughs> rascal. Um, I think during this time, also, he created a company it was smart called Tracy Limited, which is his daughter's second daughter. Uh, well, his second daughter by Barbara, I mean the second daughter yeah. in general, but and he called it Tracy after her. And it would be like all of his business terms would go through that company, all the conditions of that RCA contract would be kind of met through, I don't know if that's the right word, through Tracy Limited. Oddly enough, years later, Alan Klein, through some machinations, I don't know, is, is still, I don't really know the true story, but he ended up solely owning Tracy Limited. I know he yeah, bought so up stuff. so
1: somehow he just got it, and everything went through there. Yes. Wow.
0: Now, sadly, another tragedy happened in 1963 to Mr. Sam. I know Gabby's giving me the hang, you know, <laughs> the puppy dog look. I know. In June 1963, his 18 month old son Vincent drowned. That's so sad. While Sam was at work, he was devastated, mm-hmm. completely devastated, you know. And he said sec- they said that he second guessed himself for many years, you know. Um, but he was at work. The kid drowned. He didn't really talk about it a lot. I mean, it was that place in him that I think he just, like, he just didn't touch, mm-hmm. you know. It was too much. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we talked about he still dealt with, like, a lot of racial iniquities a lot. And, um, you know, Blowing in the Wind by Bob Dylan was released that year. I think it was 1963. Um, And it blew his mind. Mm. He loved that song. And uh, in October of 63, he was arrested for disturbing the peace, because after trying to register, he had called ahead, made a reservation at a white motel, um, and they, they he gets there and they're like, "We're not, we're not giving you a room." Basically, um, he was there with his wife, and I mean, it was just it became a mess. It was an incident that and so um, there
1: was there was white motels then. Yes. How would they, how would they know? Like how? You know,
0: a lot of artists. You're right. A lot of artists. Like even when they went to go play in Vegas, they'd have to go in and play in the back. I mean, they'd have to go in through the back to to play to the white audience, and then have to leave. And then you got like you know the the white performers would get the great rooms in that hotel, and then a lot of the blacks um, performers would go off to like it looked like shanty shacks in Vegas. Where they would, you know, you got Lena Horne and all these. I think Frank Sinatra, and sometime in the 60s, you know, when, when Sammy Davis Jr. and all them were playing, the Rat Pack was playing, he was finally like, no, this that's not going to happen. You know yeah. what? He's going in with us, and because he was Frank Sinatra, I think he really, you know, made headway with that, which was kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. And um, Sam was pissed off, you know. Um, and so based on... The racial iniquities, the great thing, he was arrested, he was released right away because they're like, oh God, it's Sam Cooke, and you probably don't want to deal with the PR fallout, and this kind of made him a bit of a civil rights crusader, these these types of things mm-hmm. because he wrote, a change is going to come, oh, thanks to blowing so in the sure wind and these racial iniquities. He'd only sang it once. He only sang it once on Johnny Carson's, um, yes. in 1964, February, uh, on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And he decided also at that point of, I'm going back to the COPA. I'm going back. That's a monkey on my back, and I'm going back. And uh, he returned on July 8, 1964, and he killed it. He... Because it was on it his own
1: terms, too. On his own terms. Now he, and he had, like, dealt with quite a bit of shit in his life. See, right. I am the only swearer on this, but... No, I've things. sworn no, he dealt a, a few times.
0: <laughs> times. <laughs> a he few dealt times. With
1: a, like, he had really been pretty lifed at that point, too. And right. It's just... And also that he had such a voice for change. And, right. I mean, I, as you know, a couple of days ago, I just decided that I was... Because I I will listen to a song on repeat over and over and over again. Yes. And then I was listening to Change is Gonna Come the other day. Like, literally, I listened to it for hours. And every single time I heard it, I, like, I felt emotional. Like, Mm. you never got, like, oh, that's the background music that I've been listening to for four hours now because I'm obsessed. And then I just started (laughs) playing it for no reason, just because. And uh, it's just...
0: Your version is incredible. I hear you. I'm grateful that you let me listen to it. Maybe you'll let Miss Gabby listen to it too. But it's. Uh, it's
1: But I just feel like it's just it makes sense that he went back and he killed it when he did it as him. Exactly. It goes back. Like I swear, the the theme and why I think he's so inspiring on many levels is that he was so uh, like fearless to be himself at a time that it was probably pretty damn scary for people to be themselves. You know and he was just like a crusader for, for he and was a crusader for change and he was
0: fearless because, yeah. like you just said, did you just say fearless too? Because <laughs> yeah. I said, fear, you I said fearless was, first, I was, I you, probably said, first. Was, you okay. probably said it first, but I think
1: you said crusader. I don't know, I just said yeah, I know. We're <laughs> just stuff. interchanging
0: great words. Um, great um words about a great yeah, word. <laughs> he was. And I think the difference is from the first time to what we talked about, we've talked about throughout these podcasts on Sam is that. He was authentic this time. Mm-hmm. And he was starting to really go back to his gospel roots. Yeah. So he was really starting to feel it in these last couple of years of his life. And he really was Sam. And that's a great, it turned into a great album, Live at the Copa, which yeah. was released in October. He taped it in July and it was released in October and started whoo, going up the charts.
2: Blown In The Wind, the song that inspired Sam Cooke to write A Change Is Gonna Come was written by Bob Dylan in 1962 and released as a single on his album The Free Bob Dylan in 1963. In the song, Dylan poses a list of hypothetical questions, questions people may say cannot be answered, comparing them to the civil rights struggle. In the Martin Scorsese documentary No Direction Home about Bob Dylan, Mavis Staples expressed her astonishment on first hearing the song and said she could not understand how a young white man could write something that captured the frustration and aspirations of black people so powerfully. Sam Cooke, similarly deeply impressed by the song, began incorporating the song into his repertoire soon after its release. A version would be included on his Live at the Copa album. Blown in the Wind has been recorded by hundreds of artists. The most commercially successful version is by folk music trio Peter, Paul and Mary, who released the song in June 1963, three weeks after the Free Will and Bob Dylan was issued. Albert Grossman, then managing both Dylan and Peter Paul and Mary, brought the trio the song, which they promptly recorded on a single take and released. Most recently, Dolly Parton recorded the song for her 2005 covers album, Those Were The Days. In 1994, the song was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. In 2004, it was ranked number 14 on Rolling Stone magazine's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time
0: his marriage started breaking down i think it started breaking down probably after poor little vincent died mm-hmm. you know um and you an be mistake. understandable yeah. you know i mean yeah. it's the, like kind of felt like it was probably the beginning of the end which you know we kind of kind of roll into his um, you know he live at the copa was released in october and you know we fast forward to december December nineteen sixty four, which was um, that's the that's that's the end, so to speak for him. But it wasn't the end, probably in his legacy. As we'll will keep going after that. Definitely but, not the end
1: of his legacy. But
0: but I gotta tell you, this um, reading up on his murder, I got mad, I got mm. sad because he died, and I, it's just all of these emotions came up on me. Mm. And I don't wanna like make a whole five hour uh podcast on it. It's gonna be kind I'm trying to keep it brief, but I'm gonna get to the to the greatest hits of the inaccuracies and inconsistencies mm-hmm. here. We're gonna talk about, you know, just a bit, you know. I mean, by all accounts, okay, December 10th, that's a Thursday, 1964. You know, he was in a good mood, you know, live at the Copa was, like I said, climbing the charts. And, um, he met up with one of his producers, Al Schmidt, and his wife, Joan. Was at Martoni's Italian restaurant, and, uh, they're having a good little time. They were meeting there for dinner, and then later gonna go to PJ's, a nightclub that everybody went to. And I want our rocker babies to remember PJ's in a later podcast that we do on somewhere. I won't say who it is, but anyway, um... They meet, but at, at Martoni's, when he got there, he met this girl named Lisa Boyer, and they started snuggling or whatever in one of the booths. He, him and Lisa go off to PJ's to meet up with Al and Joan. Al and Joan had already left by the time they got to PJ's, and, and so they head off to a motel, and Sam ends up dead. He's shot. At the hacienda motel, and I think it's in Watts, or mm-hmm. you know, and um, he he was angry that he had been robbed. That's this is the story, but I'll yeah. let you paraphrase. He ends up dead, uh, December eleventh. That's the early mornings. There's a little paraphrasing can go on. It's this little little version that they put in the New York Times.
1: Yeah, so they said the shooting of Sam Cook held justifiable homicide. Los Angeles, December 16th, the death of Sam Cook, a rock and roll singer, was ruled justifiable homicide. Today, by a coroner's jury that heard a motel operator describe how she shot him in self-defense. The seven jurors, after deliberating 15 minutes, found Miss Bertha Franklin, 55 years old, shot Mr. Cook for protection of life, limb, and property. Miss Barbara Cook, widow of the popular entertainer, was pale but did not show any emotion. Another witness Eliza Boyer 22 testified she feared Mr. Cook intended to criminally assault her at the motel. She said he drove her there instead of taking her home after meeting her at a party. The police said the stories told by the women were substantiated by a lie detector test. Yeah. That seems
0: bullshit. Yeah, yeah, wrong.
1: Also, too, like it's this is on the 16th. The death happened on like this is there's yeah. been no time. He yeah. died on the the 11th. Right. And, you know,
0: I mean, so yeah, of course, we do have about this,
1: but 15 minutes? That's not even time to, like, go get a coffee. Like, I like it how ridiculous. they talk
0: about them, like, I shouldn't even say this, but Lisa Boyer, by, by most of the stuff I've read, so don't, don't, anybody come after me, she was, people consider her a prostitute.
1: Yeah, that's what I've heard, too.
0: And first of all, at that inquest, it was the coroner's inquest where those juries found, you know, Bertha Franklin, the whole thing, justifiable homicide. She wore shades and a scarf over her head. What she got to hide?
1: Yeah.
0: She wore, she gave her testimony with shades and a scarf on. Um, to me, that felt guilty right there, just in the yeah. get up, you know what I mean? So the first inaccuracy, you know, that I want to deal with is Lisa Boyer. Lisa Boyer, I'm gonna break it down just in the people. So, Lisa Boyer claimed at that inquest that she met him at a party. That's wrong as hell. She met him at that um, Martoni's, mm-hmm. you know, at that well known Italian restaurant who was there to have dinner with the producer and his wife. And at the coroner's inquest, you know, They asked Lisa how she met him, how she met Sam. See, there's some speculation that she knew him before that night. Because she responded, well, quotes, we spoke to each other on Thursday. So that was very ambiguous. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you could have known him before then. And they didn't do any additional questioning. They wouldn't even allow the person that they brought in. I think Sam's... um, State or Allen, then might have hired a lawyer to, you know, ask her additional questions and they wouldn't let him ask additional questions. They would shut him down. Like she also said at that inquest that, you know, Sam got up and sang and the restaurant did not have a stage, a band, not even a microphone, wow. you know, his friends and families believe she made up these stories to kind of hide her true occupation mm-hmm. of being a prostitute. Um, You know, Joan, the wife of the producer, remembers Sam sitting in a booth with Lisa snuggled up. She thought that they had already knew each other. By the Mm -hmm. way, they were so comfortable with each other. Um, And Sam had been kind of flashing around some money, not in a uh, a bad way. He paid for drinks for Al and Joan, and so they saw a wad of cash, so you know she might have zeroed in because, you know, she saw him. And she came there with another dude, by the way. She came there with another dude and they I don't know what happened to that guy. Um but it's real shady and she was known to be a prostitute. In fact, she was arrested I think about a month later after he died for a prostitution. And wow, Sam, was, and
1: they don't even look into any of those
0: things? No. It was like- no. People started asking questions when you read an article like that. Mm-hmm. People started questioning stuff like, that don't make sense. And Especially
1: for you, such a big star to die. Right. And just for it to be like, okay, yeah, case closed. Okay, bye. We're done. Yeah, too Moving bad. On. Bye. And and that it, would never happen now if somebody if it's, I
0: would hope not, I, you I, know. Not, yeah. I would hope not, you know, even though we've had some... There's some fishy stuff has happened. That's true. That's I watch true. Dateline all the time. I know, I yeah, you do watch Dateline. I live in a bubble. I'm like, this is
1: good.
0: And I'm like, no, it's not. And I'm like oh, <laughs> she was planning on killing him from the beginning. But anyway, getting back to Sam's story. Um, you know, in fact, when, um, when the attorney for the family asked the police officer, because they talked to a police officer... Um, under oath about what Lisa did for a living, uh, the coroner told the attorney, oh, we're not concerned about the occupation of Vince Boyer. You know, there's nothing wrong with the occupation of a prostitute, but, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that there was, I think that it was a, a thing of a setup. Um, the family thinks a little different. I'll, I'll read you exactly what his great-nephew wrote in his book. But the third inaccuracy is that she claimed that Sam kidnapped her. Now, she, when they when they went to go get the room, Sam got out to go get the room, of course. Mm-hmm. She had an opportunity to leave, you know. Yeah. She, she came up behind him, supposedly. And this is according to Bertha, too, that um, she came up behind him. She says, Lisa says, I said loudly, take me home, Sam. Bertha disputed that and said, no, you know, that wasn't true. And she didn't say anything like that. So, see, there's some... Yeah little wickedness in in there as well. The fourth inaccuracy is she took his pants, his shirt, and his underwear. She stole them. He got up to go to the bathroom when they were in the room. And when she discovered, and I'm having air quotes, if rocket babies can see me, discovered that she had them later on when she ran out of the room with all of his stuff, including his wallet, by the way, which did not have that wad of cash in it. When they when they found it, I don't even know if they found his wallet. And also, but she took didn't that.
1: you say before? I don't know if you said it now, yeah. but you yeah. had said in the past that it was something like five thousand dollars, which yes, listeners, that's the equivalent of thirty nine thousand dollars. Wow, so have in your pocket. Yeah, yeah, that's enough to. I mean, that's yeah. a question. there's motive right there. Yeah, not totally. A
0: you know, you can, she you can saw it. You could buy a house
1: for thirty nine thousand dollars back then.
0: Dang, I know. Right? I know. Well, it's not happening 30, 30, in LA 30. now. All <laughs> yeah, no, right, that definitely don't happen in LA. You can buy like a room you for got, that much. I don't even
1: know if you can buy a
0: room. Can you even buy a guest house? I don't think so. I don't think so I don't either. Think so. No,pe nope, Gabby. I think see? you can
1: get maybe you can get like one of those um, uh, what's it called?
0: The tiny home. A shanty. Oh yeah, 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 tiny, yeah the home. But tiny but you home. Still need land. Oh yeah, we don't have that in LA. No, no, I don't have that in LA. Fifty dollars
1: just for a parking spot to rent it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dang, that's true. It's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And um, <laughs> but on that he, note, yes. That <laughs> so after his like money was stolen, his poor pants and everything else, you know, humiliated the poor guy, um, she called the cops and from a phone booth. And that was—they said that was standard procedure back then for like prostitutes to take your pants so you couldn't chase them once wow. you come out. You know, Joan Schmidt did research after that and found that Lisa was known for ripping off her johns. So, oh, really? wow. you know, I—I I think that I, yeah, I think there was a definitely shakedown. And um, you know, Alan Klein did hire a private detective. God bless him. Um, and. Um, The private detective hired said that Lisa was well known among the cheap nightclub Mm. hangers on as being a professional roller. So, we're gonna get to Bertha. Bertha's the one who shot Sam. And Bertha told two different stories to the jury and to the policeman about how Sam got into her little apartment. She had a little apartment behind the room there. She lived there. And, you know, what's peculiar is that, you know, he left his car running. That's so weird. I don't know if that was yeah. him that did that or somebody else. His car was running.
1: That's weird.
0: You know, he you know, um, he thought that they were in cahoots. If, you know, he thought that they robbed him and that they were in cahoots, which they said happened back in the day. Mm-hmm. That, that, you know, um, and on top of that, she claimed that Sam broke down the door. Now, here's this man with just his little sports jacket on, a towel, you know, and even when she shot him, you know, the gun was on top of the TV, he's banging on the door. Why wouldn't you have grabbed the gun then? Yeah. No, it went through some type of tussle and we yeah. saw the picture of Bertha before, you know, this podcast started. And her little hair was perfectly coughed. You know, it was that night of the thing. She didn't look like she had been in no Tuffle. Yeah. You know, poor little Sam, you know, Etta James had said later on, stated up that his hands were broken mm. and that he, you know, was severely beaten. She claimed she hit him with a broomstick, but that's not going to make you severely beaten. And she would have some type of marks on her if it was truly, if she had truly gotten into a, yeah. a tussle with him. Um, Bertha said his last words were, Lady, you shot me. Mm. So I just want to, um, before, we, before we go into, you know, his funeral, which is very brief because Ray Charles sang at his funeral, I just want to read what his, um, what his uh, great-nephew wrote in his book, and it's very brief. His great-nephew um, thinks that Sam was drugged oh. while dining earlier in the evening. Oh. And he says that he thinks it's his understanding that he did not drive that red, brand new red Ferrari to the Hacienda Hotel under his own accord. And that the agenda that night was to convince Sam, if not verbally, then physically to take his career in a different direction. And if he refused to comply, he was to be murdered in the motel room where his body would be discovered the next morning. And he thinks that the story in the newspapers would read that he was spending time with a prostitute. You know, that's what he thought the headliner would be. So singer Sam had been robbed and killed. And that the horrific details of that death would serve to take him down a peg through embarrassment and humiliation, while at the same time allowing the vengeful parties to take advantage of any monetary rewards his absence might generate. Wow. Isn't that sad? So he thinks that Sam was impaired... But he woke up out of the impairment Mm -hmm. and he didn't comply with his captors and he became combative. And he did like extensive research. I guess he, you know, looked it up and he felt like, you know, he became combative, which precipitated in him being beaten and he was subdued with a blunt object to the head. And through that altercation, he thinks that's where his sands were because he thinks he fought for his life and that he was fighting back and that... Most of his clothes were removed to create the scenario of sleazy sexcapade. Oh. And that he was shot inside of the motel and left for dead. Wow. Yeah, his books, his grandnephew's book is Our Uncle Sam, the Sam Cooke story from his family's perspective. Oh, wow. Isn't that sad? So sad. So, you know, there's definitely, even if it's not necessarily that story, there's definitely a setup somewhere. there's
1: a lot of stories, though, too. Yeah. And it's just... I think the weird part of it is, is just that it was so like this is what happened.
0: Okay, bye. Yeah, okay,
1: that's the part that's so weird. Like yeah. especially for someone of his influence at that time. I think for anyone it would have been weird, but especially for him, it just seems very odd that totally. that was just like okay, this happened. Okay, anyway. Yeah. Right,
0: okay. On. Bye. All right. And then to add insult to injury, Miss Bertha sued him. 2 months after his death she sued his estate for $200,000 for injuries sustained that night and she she got $30,000 because Lisa came back and told her fairy tale and I think she you know the owner of that motel came and said whatever she said and she got $30,000 I don't know how much that would be but Bertha lived to be uh 80 years old in 1989 she died in 1989 for Lisa well, actually, she won it in, uh, in uh, I think she won it in the 60s. So we'll say 1965 or 66. I'm not too sure of the date that she won so it, but it did
1: So $30,000, well, today would be the equivalent of uh, 262000
0: There you go. But
1: in 89.
0: Well, actually, it was in the 60s. Let's say the late 60s she might have won. But the value, though. Oh, it. yes, yes.
1: So it would have been equivalent to one hundred
0: and thirty. Wow. in 89. Oh, okay, so still That's to still get a anything a dollar. You get anything when after you after you shot. Yeah. Sam Cook. Anybody shoot anybody. Yeah. Um, Lisa Boyer in 1979. Um, now she went by a lot of names uh, by that point. Uh, was found guilty of second degree murder for the death of her lover. Wow. Um, she was incarcerated. I don't know what how long the sentence was. A few years, and no no one knows where she is today. You know. Mm-hmm. She might still be in the prison system, don't know.
1: Um, wow, how old would she be now?
0: Well, she was 22 in 1964. Oh, okay. So. Um, she could totally still be alive. Yeah, she oh. could totally be alive. And um, oh. in regards to um, Barbara, his widow, she married Bobby Womack, his protege, three months after Sam's death, oh, wow. which is crazy. Three months. Because- isn't- that's crazy. I mean, maybe that's grieving. Oh, no. Okay, yes. Yeah, but no, I don't know if this is grieving because I read somewhere that he even wore some of Sam's clothes to the funeral.
1: That's insane.
0: I wonder if that's true. That's a nuts if it's true. That is nuts. Um, and Barbara was older than um Sammy. Uh, Barbara. Sorry, we called him Sammy. But <laughs> Barbara was 10 years older than um Bobby Womack. You know, he was young. He was 20, 21. She was in her thirties. Could we chalk his decision up to youth?
1: Possibly twenty one, maybe. Yeah. You know it. That's pretty yeah. that's pretty young. Yes. I was just telling my student yesterday that I mean he's fifteen. Yeah. But I was telling him that don't get married till he's thirty. <laughs>
0: that's, yeah, that's true.
1: Like, I could totally yeah. see 21 being...
0: It's way too young.
1: It's is very young. I mean, I also know it was a different time back then, and people did get married a lot younger. That's very but, true.
0: That's very true. Um, well, they got they got the... See, this is some... It's a big ghetto, but it's kind of fabulous. It's ghetto... You know what? I don't want to say that because I don't think it's right for people to get hurt in any way, shape, or form. I want to say that. It's not right. Um, but six months after the wedding... Supposedly, Sam—you um, know—Sam's niece Gwen was getting married, so you know the family invited, of course, um, Sam's two daughters to be in the wedding and Gwen's wedding, and so Barbara decided to take them. That's fine. She was taking them. I think that's lovely that she took them. Mm-hmm. But then she brought Bobby, and yeah. see, it was still a little raw to the family. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. That long. Totally, after. six months, you know, he remarried. And so, um, and it kind of like, I think Bobby Womack talked about it, like people turned on them for that because, you know, he Sam was his mentor. And so yeah, crazy. somehow somebody started popping off at the mouth. It wasn't at the wedding, that's what I want to say, but they were staying at a particular hotel, and Sam's two brothers, maybe three, it was Elsie, um, his youngest brother David, and his oldest brother Charlie, I think, decided we're gonna go to that hotel, we're gonna go to that room. They went there, there the popping off at the mouth happened, and there uh, some drama ensued and some fighting ensued and they kind of, you know, beat up not beat up maybe, but roughed up Barbara and mm-hmm. Bobby. I think it was anger and Sad, well, sadly yeah, enough.
1: In so much pain
0: and it, I know. Yeah. Oh, grief stricken because A Chain Is Gonna Come was released three days after Sam was buried. And of course it blew up the charts and yeah. became a huge civil rights anthem and you know, it's so sad. Ray Charles sang at his funeral. He had no intentions of singing at the funeral, mm. but because people were so you know, crying and stuff and they're like, Sing something, Sam. Um sorry, I keep saying Sam. Ray. Sing something, Ray. And he got up and sang a song. I can't remember what the spiritual was, but he said, um, Sam, baby, this one's for you. Aww. And, you know, I guess that's pretty much the end of it. But, you know, the great thing about it is that that story of the murder, mm-hmm. the legacy far outweighs that murder.
1: Yeah, it really does. It, it far I mean, outweighs it. can sit it. there and talk about, we, we could go on and on about, yeah. you know, the... The murder and the ideas and all the theories, but it's just he was so so much more than that. Totally. And even like I think again back to what we were saying in the earlier episodes, just that um, the impact, like, because as a child that Sam had on me, mm-hmm. his his death was really not. I didn't really. I remember I just heard. Oh yeah, he was shot in a hotel by a fan. Me That's too. What I thought. I yeah. Didn't, I didn't know the whole story. Mm-hmm. And. You Know also as a 10 year old, I just wanted to hear his pretty voice and build my Barbie hoses, so I just, yeah,
0: <laughs> <it's kind of laughs> well, you know, you'd want to build a Barbie house or play in a Barbie house with Sam Cooke playing,
1: yeah, like I mean, especially it's with just,
0: Cupid, it's, it's so good, I know, but so
1: he did, and he did, he inspired so many artists, like you listen to artists now, yeah, and like John hear,
0: Legend, yeah, yeah,
1: you can hear him in there, but vo- like you can hear that just that. Totally John Legend is a good example. Totally. He's got a velvety voice too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. A I mean, different oldest... velvet,
1: but a beautiful velvet.
0: And the way he was his the way he um lived his, you know, the way he created those businesses yeah, and the way and he how did he that owned himself Yes, himself and how
1: he knew his worth from a very young age and like just he seemed to really know who he was and yes. owned who he was yes. and lived how he wanted to live in the Short period of time that he was here, and I that's why I think you know, now 60 years mm-hmm. later, we're sitting here, two or three of many people that mm-hmm. talk about Sam, Sam Cook. Cook. You yeah, know, like there's been many, there, many, many people have heard many stories about him, and to have a legacy, and probably 100 years from now, people are going to be talking about him again. Oh, totally. And I think that's that alone is this impact of an incredible artist and why we even want to do rockabies because there's There is many, many, many beautiful, incredible artists that even say, you know, you're listening today and you didn't even know, like you had no, you're like, I don't, I mean, I think you might live under a rock, but if you did, you might not not know who Sam Cooke was. I I know.
0: He had a seductive tone, a disarmingly seductive tone. And the great thing is that he did get his due to me in a way. Mm -hmm. I wish he had lived to see what he could have created and done with the business savviness Mm -hmm. that he had but you know he you know he is known now as the king of soul and he was in the first group of inductees in the rock and roll hall of fame along with presley was mm-hmm. presley james brown little richard his label made a specialty fast domino his label made a specialty records ray charles and chuck berry i mean he was in he was not forgotten i mean only a few years ago he was named as one of you know fourth fourth on rolling stones all-time greatest singers wow and he was 16th on their 100 greatest artists list wow
1: and that's not surprising at all and also like through like the telling of the story like mm-hmm. just hearing how much he did for like how much he played as an artist in the civil mm. rights movement you know? yes and to stand up and to be like because it would be hard also because you don't want to lose his career or the fear of being able to stand totally. up. Totally. I mean, he was like just fearless, like just to be like, no, I'm not going to. Because you, you needed people. Like, I mean, really, not to get into what's going on in our current world right, right. now. Right, Lord, it is imp- I know, that's a whole other story. <laughs> but to have the people that are speaking up right now, the people with power that are speaking up, yes. which is important. And, and the thing is, People do listen to artists. They yes. do, and so it's happening right now. And they now. listen to but,
0: create- courageousness.
1: Yeah, and then to ha- and he had that fearlessness to like to, and to you know be mm. to have bombed at the Copa and then it be one of his greatest successes mm-hmm. when he did it his own way. Like I mean, we can all even in every aspect of life. It doesn't mean that you know we're always doing a big superstar moment, mm-hmm. but. We could all learn from that just to be authentic in every, yes. I mean, there's definitely been a reoccurring theme of what we've been talking about, but it that, is. that authenticity and standing your ground and just what he was able to do and mm-hmm. the generations to come too, like how he was able to influence that. And now hearing about a segregated audience sounds absolutely atrocious and ridiculous. Yeah. And that only 50 years ago that that was normal.
0: Yeah. You yeah. Know, you it needed was.
1: people to stand up.
0: Yeah, to stand up and be counted and say this isn't right, even against whatever you're gonna face. And he just, he just wasn't. I mean, he. The thing is, he was so attractive, and you know, he came off as like the king of cool, kind of like mm-hmm. Steve McQueen in his heyday. He was just the king of cool because everybody loved him. He was so well loved among his peers. So even that individual, he was such an original. Yeah. When I think about him, just a complete original, and he was known by. You know, all accounts as being just a good-natured man. Um, And so it's so funny because one of my favorite movies, Shawshank Redemption, there's a line in it where I guess, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, (laughs) it was like, it was when Andy Dufresne um, escaped. Mm -hmm. And uh, isn't that a great name? Andy Dufresne, because he was framed. But anyway, Stephen King is amazing. But anyway, so... You know, Morgan Freeman is sitting and working, you know, like in the chain game, so to speak. And this quote came from the Shawshank Redemption, the book, and it was actually so beautifully written by Stephen King. If he's listening, this is incredible. But the quote is, some birds are not meant to be caged, that's all. Their feathers are too bright, their songs too sweet and wild. So you let them go, or when you open the cage to feed feed them, they somehow fly out past you. And the part of you that knows it was wrong to imprison them in the first place rejoices. But still, the place where you live is that much more drab and empty for their departure. Oh, wow. And it does feel kind yeah. of drab, us talking about Sam and all these, mm. these, you know, well, cause podcasts. It does feel
1: like such, a, especially when you tell the story, it does, like the things he wanted to do. Because think mm-hmm. about it, he was only a 33-year-old man. Like, I that's know. That's ridiculous. I mean, I... I that is, you're almost a kid still at 33. You are like it's just what he was able to accomplish, and also what he wanted to do. Like the mm. fact that he was like teaching, inspired, wanting to inspire youth, and want like like he could have just carried on. I mean, obviously yeah. he wasn't meant to because it didn't work out that way, but um, yeah, it's- it is. I mean, he did, like you said, he did get his dues. He did achieve a remarkable amount, but then. cut so short
0: yeah Uh, because I it's funny because I read somewhere and I don't know where I read it but it was um (laughs) one of those workshops it was for like aspiring singers you know especially down in South Central but I read somewhere that actually Sonny Bono and Cher like signed up with a part of one of those little workshops oh really that's yeah, amazing. I think I read that 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 it was like ironic that they came out of it and they're white. That's hilarious. I, I love it. I love wow. the story because I love me some Cher, but
1: uh, Cher is pretty amazing. She yeah. like she's ridiculous. Did you see her this year performing? What was it at? It was at the Billboard Awards or it was something. Oh, was it? I bet she was, it was awesome. Like she was just as awesome as she's always oh. been awesome.
0: I do know that some friends of mine uh, went to see her show it in Las Vegas. And they went, they went, and these are like little kids. Like it was my friend, Lori, she is her nephews and her nieces. Everybody went, the whole family. And these are like little kids who loved Cher and, and got to meet her and said she was the best, the absolute best. But anyway, so I guess for all of our rocker babies out there, and I guess Michelle would agree, be authentic, be, you pick something That you love. Don't make it work. Just do it. Just just go for it. Whatever it is. Yeah, and find out what, you know, what makes you comfortable in your own skin. And don't be afraid to be you. Mm -hmm. Because so many times people are afraid to be who they are. And that, to me, is is sad. Because we're missing out. On somebody being their best selves. And
1: what if you don't even know how awesome you could be? Exactly, if you haven't let it out yet,
0: or if how awesome like, you are.
1: How awesome you are, exactly. And everybody, everybody
0: is awesome. They got something cool to be weird. awesome We're about. All weird. Yeah, you don't have to <laughs> sing like Sam Cooke. Cause God knows I can't sing like Sam <laughs> oh, Cooke. You know, oh God, oh, it would be. Yeah, it would be. It might break this microphone. No, no. <laughs> Scott was coming here to try and stretch my eyes out.
1: No, he's a bad singer, too. He's like...
0: <laughs> That's exactly how I sound. Not... You got my sound right. That's it. I don't believe That's it. That's my sound. So I guess we, we're wrapping up. This this was like a pleasure.
1: This really was awesome. And thank you, Sam, for joining us on this. Cause yes, Sam. You this... made us talk about you for three hours. And yes. easy and fast. <laughs> Sam, baby,
0: this one's for you. This one's for you. And thank you, Gabby.
1: Thank you, Gabby. Yes.
0: Alright. Yay. Bye. Bye.
1: Rockabye.
2: i hold you close to me.
1: I hold you
2: close to me. Close to me. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Rocka Pod.